It's about time someone gets real. Bro, are you sure we're even supposed to be listening to this? Welcome to the Church Misfit Podcast with motivational and thought-provoking content designed to push you further personally, professionally, and spiritually. If this don't move you, you might be dead. Here's your host, Catalyst Collective founder, Joe Elliott. Hey, welcome back to the Bad Booty Book Club. Nope, nope, nope. Not Big going Booty there. Book Bad Club. Bad Arse Book okay. Club. Zach's a little timid right now so let's get this straight the big book book club nope big i'm gonna we're gonna sit here in silence booty, you say what does booty. bbc stand for badass book club the ass. ass we're dropping that oh ass bad ass books badass books club with a z badass book clubs yes i got you all right, all right. Yeah. and today we are covering faith for exiles five ways for a new generation to follow Jesus in Digital Babylon by David Kinnaman and Mark Matlock. <laughs> We're all reading this book together. Page <laughs> one. Chapter Page one. one. Here we go. <laughs> Buckle up, people. It's going to be an exciting ride. All right. If you have not heard of Barna before, you need to know these guys. These guys look at faith and culture. They, it's actually like data-driven. These guys have been watching the state of the church for a long while now. Yeah. And so they've exposed us all to the problem through books like You Lost Me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and now they're talking about some solutions. Yep. So this book, like just the, the first concept, Digital Babylon, started to blow my mind. Mm-hmm. So let's just talk real quick. I think a lot of us want to like make America Jerusalem again, mm-hmm. but we're actually living in a digital Babylon. Let's talk about that. Where is America right now? Yeah, I just want to welcome back uh, Gunner oh, and hey. uh, Graylin and Jess. Hey, y'all did What's great up? last month. We yeah. kicked this thing off strong, but then we totally screwed up the audio. So I'm hoping this month oh, really? everybody can actually <laughs> hear you as either. you talk into the mic. Oh. No, we can no, hear you. But it's just like you were like sitting in the third row back, gotcha. you know, kind of sharing your opinion. Nice. Did it really so sound like that? Hey, I have a voice. We <laughs> do. And we're all going to make you hear me now? And you're going to be crystal clear. Eat the clear. mic. Okay. Eat the right? mic. Yep. We're quiet. Joe's loud. Yeah. All together. It puts our sound guy to work. Totally. All welcome right, guys. back, guys. I'm yeah, sorry. Welcome. The terrible <laughs> host, Gunner, Graylin, Jessica. We love having you guys. GGJ. Good to be here. Good to be now. Here. <laughs> Now can we start? No, we can start. Yeah. Okay. We're good. Thanks, Joe. All right. So America, the state of America, the idea of like Jerusalem versus Babylon. What do you guys think? Uh, I can lay out some some. So like Jerusalem was monoreligious, slow paced. It was one culture. It was sweet and simple. It was the good old days. Mm-hmm. Babylon, pluralistic, a lot of different worldviews. It's accelerated, frantic. Like people are always doing. It's really diverse. Uh, it has authority issues, like it's not top-down monarchy. It's complex, and there's a lot of idols. Yeah, and this is how David Kinnaman sets up yeah. the first half of the book. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 To the three A's, I, I forget. I know his authority and access. And Joe has an A for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 alienation. Alienation. Yes. Feeling yeah. alone. Yeah. 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 It feels like we're in a mix of both, right? We we have uh, we have two different competing cultures right now, and I think. Um, when we have something as polarized as the election that's going on right now or the election process, we see both of those sides at war. I mean, how can you go from Trump to swing all the way around and have a, at this point in the election, a socialist leading the charge? I mean, that is, these are two very different mindsets at war. And I think that's, that's kind of symbolizing what we're, what we're all dealing with. I think the, 
the the culture of, of Babylon, that idea is is rapidly taking over um, the U.S. Much like it it did Europe, you know, twenty thirty years back. And so we're we're following we're following those footsteps. So yeah, totally. So the idea of access, we have access to yeah. so many different things. Alienation. Our pizza just got here. Alienation, <laughs> but at the same time, we feel totally alone. And then authority. You talk about just the breakdown. This next generation has no trust in authority. Correct. At all. And in the church, or that's what I think is interesting as far as I really just now got to the age where I care a little bit about who's running the country, quote unquote, but even realizing we are kind of the first wave of people who both from the church and from government and from school, what almost across the whole spectrum, mm -hmm. our generation has had a pretty bad experience mm -hmm. with authority as far as a generic view of it. I think, you know, individual level of people have probably had a good mentor or a good coach or a good principal or something like that. But I think overall, like, I think, and I think in the podcast we listened to that was talking through the book, it was, there's that blanket statement of millennials don't trust authority. They're, they're sketched out by all of it. And I think that's kind of, a one-sided view, it's more like, well, I don't think they've exactly had a good experience with it across the board, and I don't think that's playing the victim at all, because obviously we want to change that, but it is, we just haven't been able to look toward a big platform and see someone leading well, whether that's a priest or a pastor or a principal or a coach, a parent. like or a president. A president. Uh, you just had this peace strand going there. <laughs> We, we, <laughs> it wasn't on purpose, but it felt right. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. How many P's can you name? Yeah, totally. And I think I get a little bit sheltered because, like, I'm from the sticks. I grew up in, like, a Southern Baptist church culture. And we're trying to hold on to that idea of Jerusalem, like, as much as possible to shelter to a point where we're, like, borderline Amish. But then, like, moving to Austin, I've just been exposed to everything. Right. And it's a totally different culture. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and my ideas have been challenged. My mind's been opened. Um, yeah, yeah. I would agree. I think they're kind of going back to the uh, millennials and their view of authority. I feel like, you know, as a 37-year-old man, when I was growing up, or especially as a young person, um, there were those those people who opposed authority or had like a, a stance or a position, um, but they were like the exception. I think within society nowadays, it's just like, it's like everybody has an opinion. Everybody has a desire to be seen. Everybody has a voice and they're, they're ready to use it. And there isn't a fear. Like I felt kind of growing up like there was like a constraint at times. Like you, mm -hmm. you can say a certain thing, but just don't step outside these lines. Mm -hmm. Now it's like it's, it's accepted. It is celebrated. It is like if you don't say something, yes. like where do you stand on the issue? And so that is – that's a little bit different. I think it – can be confusing at times for people who are just looking for something to grab a hold mm -hmm. to um, because they're just like, yeah, it's, it's almost a fad to be um, opposing authority. And so to be woke, to be woke. Yeah. And so I, I've loved how this book like talks about you know, taking that part of our culture and, and figuring out how to, you know, connect to it and ensure like students, young people, you know, have something to um, to reach Two, you know, to press two, so. So I have a confession to make. I like to watch um, Disney show channel, like, or Disney channel shows. It's okay, you can silently judge me. No judgment, no, but judgment like, at all. Like, which I want to know great. what shows. Which ones? Uh, well, the, anyways. The, <laughs> what, what happens is, like, the, the shows, like, 
the adults actually don't even appear in the shows. It's often um, kids living with like th by themselves or living with an older sibling to the point that mm -hmm. they actually have taken parents and any kind of older people off the show. And there's this other one that I was watching and this the daughter is constantly like opposing and teaching her uncle and her mom, making them kind of look like imbeciles, idiots. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of this like this tension of like, yes, we need to respect the voices of the youth, but also like even in media, mm -hmm. parents are just made to be like complete idiots mm -hmm. um, and very unwoke, you know? Like, right. So. right. Like Wisdom the, is that the balance. Boomers, like, yeah. Okay, boomer. And it's like, wait a minute. Is that, do I fall in that category? Because I feel like I'm a voice of reason at times, but I'm yeah. like, <laughs> um, but yes, it's, it's really celebrated within our culture and society now. To you know, to have an idea and an opinion, which is necessary, and you want mm -hmm. young people to think for themselves. But yeah, mm -hmm. and we'll, we'll dive into that a yeah. little bit because we're not just going to sit in the problem, but actually move to to some solutions that hopefully we can apply sure. mm -hmm. as we try and navigate this digital Babylon. And intergenerational relationships is one of those solutions. So three A's: access, alienation, authority has kind of left us stranded, like spiritual nomads. Yeah. Where am I, and what the heck am I doing? Uh, Barna actually breaks it down and talks about like it's kind of poor discipleship. Mm -hmm. We've less, left these, get, we've prepared them for Jerusalem and then sent them into Babylon. Mm -hmm. And that's why we see like 90% of the kids fall away from the faith. Mm -hmm. They go to college and they're like, hey, that was all a lie. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. everything mm -hmm. you told me. Mm -hmm. uh, you told me God made the world in six days, but this teacher, this authority is saying mm -hmm. this. And I saw this YouTube video and I read this Reddit mm -hmm. strand. Whether it's true or not, it presents itself as an authority. Yeah. And here these guys are. So it's created these different kinds of exiles. Yeah. Uh, prodigals, those who have just turned their backs and walked away. Nomads, those who are unchurched. Like I'm, this is Austin, right? Like I'm spiritual, mm -hmm. but I'm not religious. Mm -hmm. uh, habitual churchgoers, those like diehards. Yeah. Um, I think Stoners. of like donors. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm tracking now. Sorry. <laughs> I'm not. AKA the single folks of Austin. Yeah, the college uh, kids. Oh, Austin. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I was like, no, my stoner friends aren't. <laughs> Anyways, uh, but like it, just traditional, like I'm Catholic, CEOs, Christmas Easter only. Mm -hmm. And then finally, like 10% of people identify as resilient disciples, mm -hmm. like people who actually are actively living this thing out. Um, I won't put you guys on blast and make you say like which category you feel like you fit in. Uh, but so it goes. So David Kinnaman has five practices in order to engage this next generation, five traits that they need in order to be able to, to survive in this crazy mixed culture. Mm -hmm. So we just what, With the idea of them becoming resilient disciples, moving into that, what, 10% category? Yeah, totally. What is it? To yeah. be moving towards resilient disciples. Got it. Yeah. So what does that look yeah. like? I'll kind of, uh, I'll throw one out there. You guys say yay or nay and share maybe like how you've seen this or experienced this either in your church context or like personally. Yeah. All right. Practice number one. In order to form a resilient identity, they have to experience intimacy with Jesus. Yay. A hundred percent. All right. All right. Good. 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 True. <laughs> we can move on. Now, yeah. uh, but like thinking on my experience, I grew up in a church culture where intimacy with Jesus wasn't really like the priority right. i wanted behavior modification i had to have yeah. it was this idea of piety right like i had to look like i had it all going on relationship with jesus was like secondary it was a byproduct of that instead of jesus being the primary and that being a byproduct relationship right. with jesus for sure 
I would agree with that. I think it was we were really focused on like being saved. Like we didn't want to go to hell. That was that was the goal rather than having like an intimate relationship with God. And so um, that mindset or approach to faith in itself is very just confining. And so when you do have the opportunity or access um, to think beyond like your church context or what you were brought up in, it was a challenge like for me specifically to think like, oh, I I have a choice in, in this, like in regarding like what I should be doing and shouldn't be doing. So, um, yeah, so that's just kind of how my experience yeah. growing up in like similar similar church cultures yeah. my grandma's mm-hmm. main goal for me was just not to wear flip-flops to church right, right like if right. she could just do that she'd be happy mm-hmm. like it's a heaven or not mm-hmm. or not wear, but like made me proud now yeah um and it was work-based and performance driven mm-hmm. and it kind of screwed me up when i got older sure. well, what's kind of crazy is i think there. this is just my opinion i don't think there's any study or research on this at all but i almost feel like there's another wave of that kind of thinking within like coming down the pipe in a way. And, and mm-hmm. it's not the Southern Baptist Pentecostal don't wear flip flops, don't drink, don't dance, look this way and you will attain the salvation you're saved. But almost to have an intimate relationship with Christ has to be the fog machines and the lights mm-hmm. and the on your knees and the, no, there's nothing wrong with these things, but like a passion conference and you know, the mega church and I have to go there and have to, raise my hands or experience this specific form of really big production worship to really have intimacy with Christ. Right. And then that's where I get maybe even uncomfortable because I see it and I know it's good. I, yeah. I know that this is a good thing. There's nothing wrong with it. I think 20 year old me was completely against it. Cause I was like, this is bad, but that's just jaded and stupid. Yeah. Um, yeah, this breaks down to you're not actually, as the church, are we teaching intimacy with Christ? How do you teach that to a younger group? Mm-hmm. Because you're not doing it with your long-winded sermons and all your Christianese and all your you know music productions. How do you teach a young person that they can be intimate with God on their way to school, sitting in class, mm-hmm. walking through the hallways, mm-hmm. on their daily, everyday routine? And if you're not doing that... You're not teaching young people how to walk with God, how to connect with them, and all the different ways you can connect with God if you're not yeah. practicing them right. and modeling them. If you're just coming to a gathering and teaching and learning and doing stuff and then leaving, it's not being modeled. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So God's in the church. Yeah. He's there on Sundays. But right. what do I do on Tuesday afternoon? Yeah, I'm dependent right. on the exactly. building. And may, totally. Maybe that's the view. The whole, like, God is, God is there. Jesus is there. I'm over here. Mm-hmm. I can't have this until I'm there um so i, I just as yeah. you were talking i said well i think that's still a thing i just think it oh, looks sure. a little different yeah for sure so now, uh, if you haven't read practicing the presence by brother lawrence check it out it's a quick quick read and it's all about that like this guy was a monk uh and he would be washing dishes and just realized man i haven't prayed in a little bit all right god i'm back and just enter back into conversation mm-hmm. that's the kind of intimacy with jesus that i think he's really talking to yeah all right number two uh, in a complex and anxious age, we have to develop the muscles of cultural discernment. Mm. So, so the big thing that comes to my mind with this is this idea of like we educate, not indoctrinate. Um, and I was actually just talking to Graylin and our friend Josh about this the other day. Like discernment is a skill that is lost amongst many people within the church because. People want to know what to believe rather than like how to believe. We want to talk about God instead of with God. And so this like 
this cultural discernment to be able to like understand the world that I live in and how to interact with it. Um, mm. I just, I don't think that we're, we're afraid of it. We yeah. we're afraid of the culture. We're afraid of the world. So we shield ourselves from it instead of actually reminding people that like, no, even from the very beginning, Abraham was told you are blessed to be a blessing, like yeah. go out into the world. Don't seclude yourself. Yeah. But it's, I think it's a, culture of fear that a lot right. of people in the church are experiencing. So right. it's like, I want to protect my babies. I don't want them going out there. So let's try to create Jerusalem here yeah. at home. Yeah. Which, and with that, I always think like, what I always come back to is what about Daniel? Like, that's what I, especially with talking about Babylon and Jerusalem about this idea of how can I discern a culture that I don't, I'm not even really a part of. Right. And I think there's this huge fear of, I can't even step foot into that room or I'm just absolutely screwed. And mm -hmm. I think, A, that to me at least shows like a bit of a lack of faith of like, do you not trust this faith that you claim to have that you can't go work at that place where the talk, the workplace is culture and people drink a lot? Like mm -hmm. that confuses me. And I always think of Daniel was taken out of Jerusalem, out of his homeland, from his culture, mm -hmm. thrown into Babylon. His name was taken from him. Like his Hebrew name, his identity was stripped of him. And yet he still learned, he learned the culture. Mm -hmm. He, he stuck out because he didn't go around evangelizing. He learned the language. He mm -hmm. knew the culture. He knew the gods they worshiped. He did an excellent job at what he did. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know that that's what rubs me. I think that's what we were talking yeah. earlier about. Yeah. Do we have to agree with everything this book says? Cause some of it almost seems like within is where we have to start working and then we'll go out. And I, yeah, to me, I see this as the absolute breakdown of not teaching apologetics well and, it, and parents not teaching it to their kids. So if I'm in the workplace and like a lot of people are, one of the reasons I, I don't know how to live out my faith in this environment is because that I know as soon as somebody finds out I'm a Christian or mm -hmm. whatever, questions are coming my way that I can't answer. Mm -hmm. You know, how how can a loving God allow this? How does, well, do Christians hate gay people? Do well, all this kind of stuff that I've never been trained to deal with, abortion, hot topics, whatever it is, like, I don't want to field those questions, so I would rather not, and, mm -hmm. and just, and, and play it low-key, and it's, it's not that I don't know what role or influence I should have in the workplace, I'm afraid to travel down that road because I'm not equipped to really defend what I believe yeah. and why, so therefore I'll shut up. Yeah. And that's the issue. Mm -hmm. um, so I can, I can as a parent, what I'm doing is I press all of my kids from elementary to middle school where they come back from church and they, they're telling me what they learned. And my question is, how do you know that's true? How do you know that's real? Mm -hmm. I'm not saying, yes, 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 that's a good lesson. Mm -hmm. I'm pushing back and playing devil's advocate now mm -hmm. to where I see my kids have come to me over the years. My 12-year-old just came from a birth, or my 14-year-old just came from a birthday party where they ended up talking about abortion. And she had some intelligent things to say and mm -hmm. things that she didn't know how to respond to. Sure. And so we got to talk about it. And that's her working those muscles of cultural discernment, in my mm -hmm. opinion, to be able to know, I think differently from most of my friends. I'm going to have to learn to articulate why I think differently in a way that makes sense. But it's got to make sense to me first. Mm -hmm. I cannot and will not just say I'm a Christian because I think it's right or I felt good or it's what my parents do or mm -hmm. I'm afraid to not be because my family won't, any of that crap. Yeah. Like we got to cut through that and, and that's where we're failing in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. Well, and yeah. even, even in that conversation, 
what what is wrong when it, in the those weighty topics those things that even to us I would think all of us like sometimes don't make sense or mm-hmm. are just really f- freaking hard to swallow as far as babies being killed before they're out of the womb that that sucks and that confuses me but what is wrong even in that conversation to say look I still believe this and I don't understand that. I want to, but I I don't. I, like, what's wrong with not even having a fully formed answer yet? I feel like there's yeah. almost a fear to just say, like, yeah, I don't I, know. I don't know. I am with you in that. I don't understand either. I think that's mm-hmm. another. I love the word you use, Joe, in equipping mm-hmm. a young person or a person, period, to sit down and have dialogue mm-hmm. about a hard, weighty issue, mm-hmm. and be able to do it without. Um, shutting them off because of your lack of understanding or that it is just obvi- obviously against like what God's word says. But being able to engage, um, being able to just to, to have a conversation, I think that is a level of equipping. Like it's it's something that I wish I would have had growing up because it was like I was prepared for that mm-hmm. because I experienced that like, you know, if if you don't know the doctrine, if you don't know what it takes to be saved, then you're not like you're not doing your your Christian duty. So I was more apologetically prepared to talk about doctrine, but talking about like how to show up to a party um, rather than just saying no to every invitation, like how to how to swim with people, how to go to a beach like these things that a very sheltered Christian kid. And you know what I'm talking about. I know about. exactly you what you're exactly talking, what I'm talking about. about. Uh, we just said no. Go bathing. We, we just said no. We didn't. I we swam didn't. with my uncle with pants and a long sleeve shirt It's on. the most dangerous thing you can do. It's <laughs> idiotic. <laughs> well, it's not swimming. It's mixed bathing. Right. Um, uh, skirts. And that's a completely Ooh. different thing. Swimming in skirts. Just dangerous. Any, anyways, <laughs> I'm just, I think going back to cultural discernment, like equipping people, young people specifically, on how to interact how to engage, how to listen, how to have a different opinion, how to not have an opinion or know, but what to do mm-hmm. when you don't know, not just with in a church context, but like mm-hmm. when I get something in society or something from my, um, you know, my peers that I don't know what to do with, like being able to navigate through those questions, I think is mm-hmm. it's powerful. Yeah. Well, and I think it goes back to this first one of experiencing intimacy with Jesus mm-hmm. that really sometimes Jesus is less concerned with like, getting the answer right mm-hmm. and more concerned with what it was with our heart and our attempts so to just like serve the person across the table from us right so even if we like flubber over like the answer of mm-hmm. what we were saying it's just like how in that moment are we teaching students mm-hmm. anybody to discern the spirit of god the presence like how do we experience intimacy with god as we pray through these things like god mm-hmm. i believe help me in my unbelief like that's where this i think that's where these two things go together Totally. I realized growing up, like my faith wasn't in Jesus as much as it was my answers. Mm. I knew all the right answers, but I knew the how, the why, not the how. Yeah. And so I wasn't prepared to go into those situations. Intimacy, intimacy with Jesus has given me like the meekness and the compassion mm-hmm. to be able to build those relationships and open doors for conversation to really like share the good news. Like, yes. Hope. Yeah. Well, that so. speaks to the problem because today's youth don't have the faith or the answers. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Or the conversational skills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or the conversational skills. All right. Let's move yeah. on yeah. to number three. Like the yeah. Valentine's Day Grand Slam, but way worse. Way worse. Yeah. Way worse. <laughs> All right. When isolation and mistrust are the norms, we need to forge intergenerational relationships. And I, I see this all the time. Like, my kids will say, okay, boomer. Yeah. But it's the idea, like, the old people are so disconnected, they're just wrong. 
They, they're not as smart as we were. They mm-hmm. don't have access to all the information we do. We've created these walls, yeah. even between generations. Right. Mm-hmm. But the, the power that you're talking about, like mm-hmm. a mentorship and influence and mm-hmm. yeah, God's I, design. I think this is where you know, Catalyst has done a good job of getting to where the students are. Like they're going to the kids. This is, you know, it's, it's mission work. And so it gives students an opportunity to see like these are real human beings. These are these are real human beings who are invested, who care about what I think, and I love that it, because it, it tears down this you know this idea that they don't understand us and they don't want to, um, and we get an opportunity through that investment to now you know either speak into their lives or listen to them, and they lead us, and so just tearing down the walls or leveling the playing field of sorts, you know, to ensure that this isn't me like lording over you and saying because I'm older than you this is the way it's supposed to be Mm -hmm. but just creating space and opportunity um, to get in their world and just and show them different than what they've either seen or that mindset of boomer or whatever and I I love that about this particular work in in ministry what you guys are doing because it's like it's so so needed right now you know my fear is that a church will hear this and they'll think oh yeah intergenerational relationships we need some more programs that take youth and old people and put them together. And I, that's not it. Mm. In my, that's not it. And I think you have to tie this back into everything we discussed with their distrust in authority and where they're coming from. Not, you know, they, it, it's, you're, if, you're, if you're an adult, I do think that, I think the meaningful in, intergenerational relationships are the core of it, but there has to be some consistency and a path to it. And I think this is where we're missing rites of passage in mm-hmm. our culture. Like no meaningful traditions for young people to be a part of that, um, that require consistent older adults mm-hmm. to walk them through a journey and a process. Do you, um, you this isn't going camping with kids. This is different. Don't do that. Yeah. Uh, you just don't go camping at all. I just don't go camping uh, at all. Okay, do you think that programs is actually a part of the problem? Because I think about mm-hmm. my church, and the old people play games on Friday night, right. and I get together with youth on Wednesday night and Sunday mornings. We there's no area we're we're all in our silos. There's no areas where we overlap. Right. And it's the whole idea like you fear them or you dislike them because you don't know them. Mm-hmm. And as you enter into conversational relationship, your mind will change. Mm-hmm. Old mm-hmm. people, we need you. Mm-hmm. But do you think yeah. we've we've built systems that reinforce this problem yeah absolutely old people need the the younger people need the older people and vice versa but we haven't bridged that gap well Mm -hmm. we can't again throw programs together put everybody in a room and be like hey look intergenerational ministry yeah well it's just a room full of tension and right well and that's go ahead i was gonna say and then sunday mornings we're all in the same room but nobody talks to each other right you have like a three minute meet and greet exactly well i think there's just there's such a charge there that for it to be a two-way street in a way, like I know that earlier we kind of talked more younger generation has had a bad experience with authority for the most part, but there's still a charge on our part to respect people who are older than us, not in a like they're lording over me. So I do what they say away, but to genuinely take interest in their experience. Like mm-hmm. it's pretty foolish as a 25 year old. If I think that my dad, one of a few 50 year old men that I know doesn't have some shit to tell me that's probably useful. I mean, he's been married. He has a job. He's started a business. It's a different time, but it's still an experience. And I think yeah. there's there's a charge for humility that my generation doesn't exactly have. Mm-hmm. 
to step to be the first one to step out and say like, hey, I see you and I see what you've done. I think you have something to offer. And then there's that other side of an older person to be receptive to that and maybe not see it as a prideful, oh, I'm going to teach this kid something because I know yeah. everything, but just to genuinely sit down, have a beer, whatever, and just talk. That's I think that the programs is what robs mm. the authenticity of it. Mm. And that makes it hard because it's easier to say, we have this group of people, let's start a program, they'll all show up, but then nothing happens. So I, Mm. So to, it's a personal charge to me. But, and I love that. Yeah. What can you, I don't know if you can think back, but think back to like at what point in your life you found that mm. an older person's experience or voice was valuable. Like what, what led you to that? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's a mix of a little bit of two things. One is <laughs> I think my dad wants to be Buddha in a lot of ways <laughs> and that he's always just dropping Nuggets. Tokens and of course when yeah. I was a teenager I just disregarded every mm-hmm. single one of them. And dad, if you're listening to this, I am sorry about that <laughs> because at some point in the past few years I just which is so stupid, but I think most people come to this point of, oh, my dad actually was right. Like mm-hmm. and from there kind of stopped giving him the chance to just drop it and just call him. It was mm-hmm. like, Hey, mm-hmm. I'm about to leave this job. And it's kind of scary, and mm. I'm about to move to Abilene, and I feel like that's right. I'm discerning that this is what God wants for me, but what the heck is a 401k, and like, how do I do this? How do I leave in a good way and start in a good way? Because you've yeah. done that before. Yeah. So a little bit of that, and then just having the fortune of growing up at a youth camp where mm-hmm. there were guys whose job it was, if they did it well, to pursue me and just get to know me. And so I had this influence of Mm. a couple of older guys that weren't my dad's age, but when I got to college, they just finished. And so Mm -hmm. I could call them or when I started dating and there's physical tension and trying to navigate that and all, just all of the things that come with being in college, I would call Nick Hearn and just, Mm -hmm. I know that you don't have the right answer, but I know you have an answer. You have an experience. And I Mm -hmm. think that's the other. Sorry, Nick. Well, I mean, no, I just, I don't think you should go to an old person thinking you have everything right tell me exactly what to do, but mm-hmm. just you have an experience to offer that mm-hmm. I don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's so, good. Yeah. Thank you. I'm sorry to take over that portion. No, I appreciate that. <laughs> I just wanted to know. That's, that's, that's why awesome. I call you. The second part of that question was when he met me. <laughs> oh, okay. Zach and I found Pride could be the Achilles heel of every generation. <laughs> all right. <laughs> practice number four. Um, and I love this one because this is an extension of what we've been talking about. To a degree, uh, vocational discipleship. Mm-hmm. I, I think that again, like church system, just reinforces some of the problems that have led to us not reaching people, mm-hmm. or people not finding church relevant, or mm-hmm. not even feeling safe to enter into that environment. Um, I think the idea behind this one for me is like, how many? What what percentage of people are like church workers, pastors? And what do the other 99% of people do? Mm-hmm. Like, can they connect their faith to their job mm-hmm. and everything that they do? Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, too, I did, I was reading some, like, kind of reviews. And they were talking about, you know, millennials. Oh, they suck. Like, they want to work because of passion. And they think they can make a difference in this world. Like, and a lot of times the older generation is like, no, you got to work hard, be disciplined, do the eight to five, whatever, provide for your family. Like, let work be work. And in this sense, I feel like we have to let the younger generations lead the older generations into realizing, like, kind of creating a theology of work. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, oftentimes we understand work to be something that like just has to happen in order to pay the bills. But are we looking even back to Genesis of like, no, like even in the garden there, we were working, like we had meaningful work. We were tilling the ground, the soil, like we were partnering together in that to cultivate like God's creation. And so it's like, what does it look like to, um, to, to allow the youth to lead, to lead the older folks in that? And I also like this one. This is just where I think my heart gets pulled a little bit because going to college with mostly was involved in ministry and lived with guys that are now in seminary and pursuing that because that's what was laid on their heart. But it wasn't, I've never once felt like I want to go work at a church or be a pastor or anything like that. I want to go work because there's these things I love to do and I come alive when I do them. And with that, there's been sometimes just this disturbance in me of like, I feel like it's super possible mm. to work somewhere, never say the word Jesus and just do it like do a job with passion and zeal. And at some point someone's going to ask what is different about you? Or at some point you're going to be at the table where the guy who has in, guy or woman who has influence asks, how are you able to do this? Mm-hmm. Um, and that it just always comes back to me for um, his name is literally, I think Gregory Thornberry from King's college. Heard him give a talk one time over Daniel. That's really where this journey for me started. And he said, point blank, it is not enough to have faith. You have to have the chops to get the job done. Mm. And I think a lot of times we think, oh, I have faith. So now when I show up at work, I'm going to make a difference. And I think that's well intended, but it's, do you work at that? I think that's something my generation can take from the older mm. generation of calloused hands, hard mm-hmm. work, mm-hmm. putting in the effort, but then marrying that with, I want to do this because there's purpose behind mm. it. Because when I do this job, this gets to happen just yeah. like Daniel. He learned the language. He, he proved himself. And then he was at the King's side. He didn't just evangelize and end up there. It's a completely different route. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We were at a screening for blue like jazz. Shall read that book or see that movie? Yes. Mm-hmm. It's great. Uh, check it out. But they were interviewing the main actor and they asked him, Hey, what does it look like to live your faith out in Hollywood? Hollywood being like the ultimate Babylon. Right. And he's like, well, it starts with me showing up on time and putting in work yeah and then from there that gives me the relationship and the influence to be able to share what might seem crazy to everybody else mm-hmm. it's this idea of countercultural mission and so yeah we could definitely learn from that i think it all starts with do i view my work 40 hours every week as mission mm-hmm. and uh, do i invite god into that space mm-hmm. hopefully so mm-hmm. all right so last but not least practice five they got to like just throw us under the bus here. It says curb entitlement and self-centered <laughs> tendencies. I don't know who struggles with that. Uh, probably Gen Z, right? But <laughs> uh, by engaging in countercultural mission. And so this is when my faith came to life. Like, I love this. Mm-hmm. I love church, but I love church outside the box, too. Mm-hmm. When we're just able to step into God's mission and partner with him, like what an honor that is. It's it took, it took it from answers, like answers on a page to something that was living and breathing mm-hmm. and something where I had to invite God in consciously and actively. Mm-hmm. And so what about you guys? You say every day, like, so what's the idea? Like storming hell with a super soaker, or this is your one opportunity to like piss off the devil. So you've just embraced this because this is your only opportunity to embrace, like, to step into this countercultural mission. Yeah, to me, uh, I'll tie this back into practice one. If you want to teach a younger generation how to have intimacy with Jesus, um, have them do something for Jesus where their life is really at risk. 
that's not happening. We're mm-hmm. not even, we won't take them to a foreign country that might be dangerous. We won't even have them do things in the U.S. that could be dangerous, like, you know, um, working on the front lines with, with homeless people um, at night, you know, when there aren't police and lights and protection around or women who've experienced trafficking. Can we get teens involved early on to see um, evil? and yeah. injustice up front and close and put them in harm's way to say, hey, what we're about to do is not safe. I cannot guarantee anything. I can guarantee it will be real. And we're going to talk about these issues, and here's how we're going to experience Jesus in the process of being on mission with him. Because being on mission with Jesus is never safe. Yeah. And so that is the biggest paradigm shift that I think is, has to happen. Yeah, I think IJM, International Justice Missions, they wrote a book a while back, and uh, it was the idea of cul-de-sac Christianity. Right. Like, we want a safe, comfortable mm-hmm. Christianity with a white picket fence and a well-paying job and a 401k, whatever mm-hmm. that is, and 2.1 kids. But that's not—we were never promised safe. Mm-hmm. We were never promised easy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, we're at war. Weird. Is this a war or not a war? Like, are we fighting hell mm-hmm. with our lives here on Earth— or are we just hanging out, waiting for our, our room at the resort to become available in heaven? Mm-hmm. Like, what the hell are we doing? Yeah. Like, that's a huge disconnect when we're bringing up people and trying to teach these younger folks. We've got to make sure they know everything about, yeah, they, they need to learn, but they need to learn by doing and experiencing so the front lines yeah. in countercultural mission. Absolutely. 100%. Do it more than once a year. Anybody experience countercultural mission? Like, this is it? Um, Faith, what you learned, and action kind of partnered. Yeah, I, I think just, again, what Joe said is is so true. It was the times that I I served under bridges that I remember growing up. Those was the times that we did, like, street rage, and we, like, went to the projects and knocked on people's doors as a 12- or 13-year-old kid that, like, kind of solidified this desire to get beyond, you know, what was happening in the church. There was still, like, a very strong... Um, desire from like my parents and the authorities you know in the church like to preserve what we were doing but i got to experience what being like jesus was like in the streets of san antonio like under bridges in san antonio like sitting across from somebody in a a texas youth commission or like you know these kids are like in trouble that it, it like became alive to me and i think that like is what helps a student or a young person really build resilient faith is doing something outside and i think that's again Kind of going back to the cultural discernment that prepares you to interact and engage, like the 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 um, counterculture mission, getting beyond your um, your normal. I, as a teacher, too, I went from like full time ministry uh, in a church, youth ministry, like to public education in an inner city school, and I left like the the church job thinking I was going to go make a difference in this in this school, and I'm prayed up in Jesus, and I kid you not, these kids nearly killed me like i was in the altar the next sunday bawling because i was not equipped as an adult to serve the needs of the students that i was interacting with because they were so far beyond what i'd been experienced to over the last two years working in a church yeah and it was that time is like okay i'm doing something wrong because this isn't going to help them they don't even care mm-hmm. so yeah i've experienced as a student and as now an adult like you, you got to get outside the four walls you got to go to the people yeah. I think too though so you're talking about like taking risks and like being like underneath the bridge and like working with like you know 
people who are hurting and that almost sounds a little sexy right like <laughs> oh man i'm doing something really good for jesus but for me i think about like one of the first countercultural moments that i experienced was leaving a and m where i hung out with like a bunch of christians who were all my age we looked the same we talked the same we dressed the same and we moved to the middle of nowhere mm. rural texas where my community like the young adult class at church was like 45 year olds mm. and for me it was like such a culture shift and I came in with so much judgment and just like mm, Jesus I'm coming here and I'm going to show these people what it really means to follow you <laughs> and I felt in that moment I was just humbled because it was like they would do these large like you would share your prayer requests like from the pews and people would be like well pray for my aunt Betty and her hip surgery and I was like oh my gosh no one's being authentic like no one cares and God was like when, did, when was the last time you brought a casserole to somebody after they had surgery? Mm -hmm. When was the last time that you visited someone and prayed for them before, yeah, some, some big, and so it's like, yeah, like risk-taking doesn't always, it doesn't always seem sexy, right? Mm -hmm. Or cool or exciting or like, I'm gonna write a blog post about it. Sometimes it's just like trusting the ministry that God's put in front of you and like taking a risk in that way too. Yeah, it's just yeah. plain difficult. It's yeah. hard. It's not, <laughs> yeah. it's not out of, oh, I really want to do this because exactly. I really want to serve older people mm -hmm. who are having medical issues. Mm -hmm. That is a deep passion of mine. Mm -hmm. Let me do that. Yeah, that Not totally. my calling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, the idea is get uncomfortable and then watch God show up. Well, mm -hmm. and I think even with that, there's with all of that, for me, sometimes I think in terms of just intention as far as right. is it entitled to start that type of any of those conversations with, I'm going to change your life right now. Exactly. Like, I, I have something you don't. So exactly. now me talking to you means that you're not going to be homeless anymore. Your life is going to get better. I'm going to make a difference in your life. And I like literally curbing that and just having a conversation because the person across from you is breathing mm -hmm. and they deserve to be known. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If the name Jesus comes up, awesome. But right. if it doesn't, it's just as awesome. And mm -hmm. so I think even making an actual effort, A, to if you are a believer in a church, like, and for me, this was easier because I didn't like church growing up to get involved with something that was outside of the church, like mm -hmm. something like a young life or a catalyst collective or s something. I meant just something where your time is spent doing something for other people. Mm -hmm. Cause that, that alone is an act, but then also really considering like, why am I here? Why am I pursuing these people? How am I approaching these conversations? Um, I don't know if that sounds really weighty and impossible or just way too simple to even try, but, I don't know, even just doing Young Life in college, the conversations that started without me thinking about, I want you to come to club tonight, or I want you to go to camp, and we're just, what's your favorite video game? Who are you? Mm -hmm. Those relationships were so much stronger mm -hmm. than the ones where I showed up at the lunch table trying to get kids to go to camp. Yeah, I mean, It's the idea of, like, mm -hmm. I'm loving and serving you without the expectation of anything in return. That's the model. That's the missiology of Jesus. Like, I think if we put these five against like how he lived his life, it lines up. Yeah. And so we got to, We just got to get back to that. Right. right? Yeah. Yep. Incarnational living is yep. the buzzword. Yeah. <laughs> and this val this generation values words over actions. Mm -hmm. So I think this will speak. I think yeah. of Locke. You remember Locke? Uh, all tattooed up. Yes. Emo kid. Yeah. Uh, he went. We were doing Justice Sundays. Right. And we'd go out to the streets and just serve the homeless. But we'd find something like a pizza that we could share with them, mm -hmm. like sit down and have a meal so that we could have conversations. Yeah. And uh, afterwards, he came up to us. He was like, 
I think there were some explicatives in this, but mm -hmm. he's like, I didn't know that church could open up my heart like this mm -hmm. because he experienced the work of Jesus. Mm -hmm. He was able to see it was good. Yeah. And then from there, we were able to like give answers, kind of like you were talking about. Yeah. So if you're, yeah. I don't know, if you love Jesus, read this book. Yeah. <laughs> Look it up. Faith for Exiles. I mean, I think this would radically shift how we do church. Yep. If you're a leader, then I think you've got to be willing to take that first step and step out of church systems and into something that's uncomfortable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But watch Jesus show up. Yeah. Last words? No, this is this is good. I could talk all day with you guys. This is Seriously. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I feel so calm. Comfortable with y'all. I'm a little hungry. <laughs> hey, there's pizza out there. <laughs> All right. Love you guys. Thank you guys. All right. Bye. 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 <laughs> <laughs>